Hey bitches, this is your host Sierra. And this is your host Morgan. And this is Bitches and Murders. So I guess we'll officially introduce ourselves and then we'll kind of jump into it. Um, so I'm Sierra and I am a research technician for a biomedical research lab. And I guess the way to super simplify my research is that we are looking at the neurobiology behind stress, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse, which is a super oversimplification. But yeah, we'll leave it at that. I'm really good at the sciencey medical nonsense is basically what that equates to. <laughs> Okay, and a little bit about me. Um, I went to Michigan State University. Um, I graduated with a triple major in psychology, anthropology, and bioethics. So I've done way too many goddamn things. Uh, I'm currently getting my PhD in forensic psychology. So I am kind of the go-to expert on all things people and criminal. I like how you got sexy at the end, like people and criminals. Okay. Uh, So today we're going to talk about the Borden murders, um, which if you're not familiar is Abby and Andrew Borden. And it's where that super creepy nursery, I don't even feel comfortable calling it a nursery rhyme, but yeah, I don't think nursery rhymes are just about murder. (laughs) Right. But it's that super creepy, like Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. It's not even accurate. It was 18, but go off. <laughs> we'll get to that. And then I think it ends with, like, when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. And it's super Also creepy. not true. It was 10. I don't know why we were singing that as kids, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, so this takes place August 4th of 1892 in Fall River, Massachusetts. And there's a few, I say a few, but there's quite a, a bit of essential characters to our story. Um, so we'll start with Andrew Borden, who was 70 when he died surprisingly um, i can't believe we made it that long right like for for the 1800s that's not bad i mean i mean that's not like, bad for today <laughs> what <do> you, mean? <laughs> you made it to 70 congratulations um so he he kind of came from humble roots uh his father was a fish peddler which i didn't know what that was when we started this process and i had to look it up it's fish on bicycles right kind of it's like a door-to-door salesman but for fish like you're you're like a jehovah's witness for exactly fish. how i want <laughs> like, all of my meat <laughs> Like someone's coming to your door, like, do you have a, lo- a minute to talk about our Lord and Savior, the trout? Can you imagine how bad he smells? Oh. Just all the time. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> brutal. Um, so strangely enough, he did not want to follow in his father's footsteps. Well, so he <laughs> Right. Um, so he started working with a carpenter, which later resulted in his business that he went in with a, a colleague of his, which was a casket making company. Oh, wow. That's some foreshadowing right there. <laughs> right. Um... So they ended up selling the company, and he became the president of the Fall River Bank, as well as the director of three major cloth mills. Hold on. I think we have to acknowledge the fact that his company's name is Cranes Patented Casket Burial Cases. (laughs) Say that five times fast. You mean that doesn't just roll off the tongue? It's fine. It's fine. Um, So one of the big things I want to point out about Andrew was that he was very well known in the town for kind of like loving money and being super stingy about his money like double gross like he wasn't one of those people that like started with humble roots and then got rich and then was like helping other people he was like no this is my money and it's i'm keeping it yeah he did not rockefeller that (laughs) no he did not um so I'm, i'm done talking about him he was just he was 
greedy and gross. It's fine. We're done with him. Um, so we're going to move on to his wife, Abby. She was 64 when she died, and she was actually Andrew's second wife. Um, his first wife died about two... Oh, gosh. Um, I think when Lizzie was two or three she when the kids were pretty young yeah it was right after emma was born wasn't it uh after lizzie was born emma was the oldest oh sorry yeah Yeah. i always get that mixed up (laughs) um so abby and andrew got married two years after sarah's death um when abby was 37 and i I only point that out because being 37 getting married at 37 in the 1800s is rare like yeah, that's you, a, you're an old maid you are yeah, done here you're an, and not hating on anybody who's in their 30s like this is not an ageist podcast <laughs> where you're just not saying, ageist for <laughs> the time period that that was like you were considered an old maid you were a spinster um so for her to not only be single at 37 but to get married at 37 was pretty rare do we know um, that she if she got married before was I, he like her second husband? Maybe? I couldn't find any records about that, so I don't know. Um, Who knows? Maybe she wasn't that uh, old maidish. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Um, so there was a lot of rumors in town that her and Lizzie did not have a good relationship. Um, many described it as like cordial, but not like your typical mother-daughter relationship. Um, there's also a lot of speculation that Andrew married her to have her as like a housekeeper and to raise the girls. Because like I said, their mom died when they were pretty young. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> right which like if you're gonna marry somebody like why not like if you're gonna marry somebody to be a housekeeper and to raise your daughters like why not just hire somebody well then you don't have to pay her i mean i guess that's a point but that's uh, that's gross triple gross (laughs) we're moving on so now we get to one of the fun characters uh lizzie borden oh i did have a note about this so yeah she was two when sarah died um she was your typical high society debutante. AKA a basic bitch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, she, she belonged to a number of clubs. She was an active member of the church. She would occasionally teach Sunday school. So, like, she was she was your typical high society for 1800s. Um, she never married, which was kind of unfortunate. Um, and th- the reason I mention this is because a lot of depictions, well, not, not even depictions, but a lot of documentation from that era describes her as homely which is kind of a rude descriptor super rude especially if you see pictures of her like she's not unattractive um but like that put her in a super unfortunate position like she wasn't considered attractive enough to marry anybody within her station but anybody who would have married her was considered below her and her father wasn't about that life so she was she just never married um one thing I noticed, too, about that is uh, going through, if you read articles that supported her as being innocent, they tended to describe her as beautiful. But if you read articles that were, like, attacking her, that thought that she was the subject, she was so homely, she was fat. But, you yeah. know, they supported her. She was she's beautiful. I mean, modern-day media does that. So. Yeah, I mean, nothing's changed, guys. <laughs> we're in the 1890s. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Oh, hey. I mean, it. measles is bad. We're really in the yeah. We're in the eighteen nineties. Bad. <laughs> um. So yeah, like I said, she was thirty-two at the time of the murders, and um, she was and has remained the main suspect of the murders. Um, they kind of immediately looked at her and then didn't look at anybody else. So it's fine. it makes sense. We'll touch on that. Yeah, we'll get I there. I get it. <laughs> um. So next in our lineup of characters, we have Emma Borden, who is the sister to Lizzie. 
Um, not a lot is known about her. There's not a lot of records of her, her education, her love life. Like, she just kind of, we know she existed. We know that she was Lizzie's sister, and we know that she was the main inheritor of the fortune when their parents died. I feel um, like people probably kind of just <clears throat> forgot about her after the murders. Yeah. Just because Lizzie was so famous. Like, who cared? Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, like I said, Emma got everything um, from the Borden estates because Lizzie wasn't eligible due to the murder charges. Um, she did support Lizzie financially and emotionally throughout their life, but I mean, like I said, not a lot is known about her. I mean, that's kind of a sign that Emma was on Lizzie's side, I would think. I mean, yeah. if I had a sibling and I thought they genuinely murdered my parents, I don't think I'd support them for the rest of their lives. Right. I, I don't know. It's, I have mixed emotions about it, but we'll move on. Um, so the next we have Bridget. Um, she was a live-in maid for the Bordens. Um, my favorite. <laughs> I know you love Bridget so much. I love much. Bridget so much. Um, she was an immigrant from Ireland and was often, well, not even often, like, I think really the only person that called her Maggie was Lizzie. It was. It was primarily Lizzie, um, but occasionally Emma. Um, another note is that Bridget was also a common name that was just given to Irish maids. It actually meant Irish maid. So there's the chances that her actual name wasn't Bridget. That was just what they called her because it was a shorthand for, like, Irish maid. Oh, I didn't know that. I hate that. Which is could be another <laughs> reason why Lizzie didn't call her that because it, she thought it was offensive. Yeah. Huh. I did not know that. Learn new things every day. Hey. <laughs> um, there's another character, but I'll mention them later on because they are... They play a key part, I think. So I'll mention him later on. Um, so now we're kind of at... August 4th of 1892. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thank you for the dramatic music. Um, so the timeline of events, there's a lot of inconsistencies and disagreements with the specifics of this timeline, um, just because there was a lot of variation in testimony. It wasn't well documented because a huge ball was dropped by investigators. Please, everybody, every single point. Everybody involved. There's just a huge ball dropped. Um, so there's a lot of variation in the in everything, but the kind of commonly agreed upon timeline is as follows so we know that about 8 45 a.m lizzie comes downstairs for the morning um everybody else in the household had already been up by then wow so um, lazy <laughs> right um i think there was some accounts that bridget had gotten up around 6 a.m and started her chores yeah i read that too. um i think abby and andrew were up around 6 37 ish um uh, as and then well. Emma was 15 miles away right. at a friend's house. That's important for later. <laughs> yep. Emma was out of town. Um, and then that other key player that I'm going to mention later was also up by this point. Um, so, yeah, 8, 8.45 is kind of when everybody seems to agree that Lizzie got up for the morning and went downstairs. Um, 9 a.m., Abby goes upstairs to tend to the guest room and Andrew leaves for town. Um 10 to 11 a.m. is when Abby is murdered. Um, sometime after that, Andrew comes home and lays on the daybed in the parlor, and then he is also murdered. Um, and then after 11 a.m., Lizzie discovers Andrew's body and calls out to Bridget. Who's supposedly outside at this point. <laughs> um, and sends her to town for the doctor, and Abby is discovered by Bridget and Mrs. Churchill, who is a neighbor. They, I think if I remember it, they went upstairs to get a sheet to cover Andrew's body, and that's when they found yep. her in the second room. Yep. Um, so that's kind of the basic agreed upon timeline, is that somewhere between 10 and 11, Abby and Andrew were murdered. Um, right. And it, there's so much dis 
oh, there's so much disagreement on everything about like where Bridget was. Like there's some accounts that said she was outside cleaning the windows. There was some that she was cleaning the inside windows. Um, yeah, it was a little bit of everything. It, every yeah. single testimony was different. Even Bridget's, like her first testimony versus her second testimony were were different on many, many counts, which yeah. kind of made people not trust her. Yeah. And then Lizzie, I think at one point tried to say that she was out in the barn, like looking for fishing tackle, but then she makes a comment later about how she like specifically remembers where she was because she was eating peaches. Yeah, it was like, all over the place. It, no one really knew what yeah, was going on. There's a lot a lot of misinformation that goes on. Oh, and a side note, a little aside here um, that's also important is there is a huge case file that has all of the original evidence. It has all of the original testimonies word for word. We can find some if you go online, but like the big bulk of everything that was done and said is actually um, held by an attorney and they have refused to release the information, whether the law came after them, whether people were just like, hey, it's been a hundred years like please let us know who did it like what was said they refused to disclose that information because they say that it's still attorney client privilege even though everyone is everybody involved is dead but we're just not gonna let you know who killed everybody it's fine literally over a hundred years ago but go off uh so that's kind of the basics i think i'll pass it on to you now and you can kind of go over the autopsy report because there's a lot of fuckery that happens in oh i'm sorry mom if you're listening please disregard the fact that i just said fuckery and please excuse every single time i'm gonna say it (laughs) because i know it's gonna come out at some point uh so yeah i'll let you go on about the autopsy report because there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things in the autopsy report but i think the most notable thing is that it happened a week after the murders yeah so Hold on, don't mind all the paper noises. I gotta pull up my very beautiful drawings. And oh, side note, yeah. plug for our Patreon. If you uh, if you follow our Patreon and donate just a little bit, you can uh, see these beautiful, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> recreations that I have done of the murder wounds, and I guarantee you, you want to see them. They're real pretty. They're real pretty. <laughs> okay, so. Like she said, um, the autopsies actually did not happen officially until a week after the murders. However, right, like, the day of the murders, their stomach and upper GI tract of both Andrew and Abby were removed. Um, so a little side note, we'll go into the more of this later. Um, Abby had gotten this idea that someone had tried to poison them about a week before their murders. And she was, like, very vocal about this. Like, people in the community knew that she thought that someone had tried to poison the family. So that is probably why the stomach and the GI tract were removed to test for poisoning. But why you would test for poisoning when someone caved in their skulls with (laughs) 18 axe blades is over me. I don't really get it. Maybe to see if like somebody had attempted earlier in the week, but I don't know that I buy the poisoning theory just because so many people in the household were sick. Like Andrew was sick. Abby was sick. It's called food poisoning, guys. Yeah. I know Bridget was sick because in, like, one of her testimonies, she makes a comment about how, like, oh, yeah, I went outside and threw up for, like, 15 minutes and then I went back to doing my chores. Yeah. So they never really specifically, like, said it. Even in the autopsy reports, like, it was just a note and they didn't explain why it happened. So that's really just kind of, like, our best yeah, guess. speculation at this point. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about Andrew first. Um, so all of Andrew's wounds, they were called by or caused by sharp force trauma. Um, so blunt force trauma, as you can probably guess, is stuff like baseball bats, lamps, vases. It causes big, you know, big wounds that spiral out. Sharp force trauma is, you know, knives, axes, things like that. 
um, that are cut, they'll cut deep and they, the fractures don't really expand out much. Um, so all of his ranged from one inch to four inches across. Most of the wounds were deep, like two, three yeah. inches in his skull, like real deep. This was serious force put into this. I was just going to say, it takes a lot of force to get something like two to three inches deep into somebody's skull. Yeah. I mean, even any part of their body, two to three inches is difficult. So it took serious strength. And then all the wounds were on the right side of his head. And then two cuts were kind of on the back right side of his head. So kind of based on the pattern of the injuries and the fact, like the way that he was napping on the couch, um, because there's pictures of him right after he got murdered, like the crime scene photos. And you can kind of see he has, you know, his body laying on the couch and he has two feet on the floor. So it kind of seems like someone maybe came into the room, made some noise, kind of woke him out of his nap. You know, he was real groggy. He kind of puts his feet on the floor like he's about to get up. And then they probably hit him once, Mm -hmm. is my guess, once in the front of the head. And your instinct when anyone hits you in the head or comes for your head is to curl forward. Yeah. So my guess is... They came in once, woke him up, hit him once in the front of the head. He curled over. They got one, two to the back of his head, which at that point probably stuns him. He rolls back and the she delivers. She being supposed. She <laughs> delivers the rest of the blows to the front of the face. And one of the reasons I think it happened like this, besides just the pattern of the wounds, is that, first of all, he's like at the end when they found him, he was lying back. Like, yeah. the back of his head was covered. So he had to lean forward at some point so she could reach the back of his head. Additionally, he had no defensive wounds anywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, he clearly was not awake enough to know what was happening. Yeah. I mean, he was 70, but right. anyone's <laughs> I mean, going to fight back. Yeah. And I'll post the the crime scene photos on our Instagram so you guys can see what we're talking about. Right. It'll make more sense when you see the photos. And then... Yeah, so... The wounds, like, it obviously couldn't have been a knife, um, even though it was sharp force trauma, because the way that the wounds were, like, deep and long, like, they clearly were not stab wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get more on what I think it was later, because uh, <laughs> the axe stuff is bullshit. But it's fine. It's fine. We'll get into that later. <laughs> um, and then um, one big kind of guess I have that I will mention in here, too is I definitely think that he was killed specifically because he would have identified the killer. Oh, for sure. Because if he couldn't have identified the killer, I feel like they would have just left alive. He would have, because he was, you know, down in town when this happened. Right. He could have came back, like, they discovered her later and were like, oh my god, like, we left the house too and you were gone. Yeah. Crazy. But I have a feeling that he knew who it was. He would have told the police right away that, like, yes, it was. This person that we'll go into later. Yeah. Um, I think both of our theories have Andrew just dying because he would have ratted out the person. Yeah. And I think that's honestly the best. It's the best guess. I mean, it makes sense. And then, okay. So Abby was a little bit different. So she had three bruises on the front of her face. So she had two small ones on her forehead and then one right on the bridge of her nose. Um, And this isn't mentioned in a lot of things. Like they don't really touch on them, but I think that they're important. Mm-hmm. They also, she had 18 incised wounds, sharp force trauma, yeah. on the back of her body. The wounds were also present mainly on the right side of her body. So in both of these, it kind of implies that the killer was right-handed. Yeah. That because that would have made the most sense. 
She also had a two and a half inch deep wound to her back just below her neck on her spine. Okay. Um, it was about like, yeah, like four inches down her spine and then slightly to the left, like right on her shoulder blade. Yeah. Um, That's going to get nerves. Yeah. And then the rest were all just like on the back of her skull. And there's actually so many strikes that her braid was completely severed from her head. I saw that picture and I hated it. Yeah. There's an evidence picture of just, <laughs> just her braid. Just all by itself. Um, so my kind of uh, last moments reconstruction for her. Um, we know that she was in John Morse's room. We'll touch on who that is later. She was in the guest room tidying up the room when this happened. Mm-hmm. So my guess is that she probably had, I'm assuming probably a drawer slightly open, but not necessarily. But she was kind of standing in between the bed and the dresser. There's only, what, two feet of space in between those two I was things? I say maybe two or three. Yeah, it's not very much space. And I think she was putting something in the dresser when she was surprised from behind. I think the first hit in her back happened first. That'd be enough to knock anyone down, especially a 64-year-old woman. It was, like, three inches deep into her back. Yeah, well, especially if you're going to catch any, like, nerves or your spinal cord. Like, you're going to crumple instantly. Oh, Absolutely. And so I think she hit that. I think she hit the first part of her forehead on the... It was like a marble or like granite countertop on the dresser. So kind of hit the dresser first, got that first bruise, hit probably an open drawer, got the second bruise, and then got one of the really heavy metal handles on the drawer across the bridge of her nose and got that third bruise. But for some reason, no one has speculated where that bruise came, those bruises came from. Yeah, there wasn't a lot in the reports about the bruises. And again, I'll post the pictures on the Instagram so you can see what we're talking about. But like the handles on this dresser were gnarly. Like, oh, they're not talking like cute little dresser drawer handles. Like they were gnarly handles. And the thing is, too, like she also had no defensive wounds and all the wounds were to the back of her body. Yeah. So I'm assuming, you know, she hit the ground and either was probably unconscious by this point or close to being unconscious because think someone just drove an axe into your spinal cord three inches deep and then you hit your head three times going down on granite and hard wood and then metal yeah i mean that in and of itself is just game over yeah you are down for the count you're done (laughs) if you are not at least extremely groggy and then i think that the rest of the blows were delivered quite quickly yeah so then andrew had a total of 10 wounds 10 and then she had 18 yes that's a lot it is a lot um so now we're going to talk about the murder weapon (laughs) um so obviously as we talked about we all know lizzie borden took an axe um bullshit no she didn't (laughs) (laughs) tell us how you really feel about Uh, it so the real reason so the reason that whole like she took an axe thing came about at all is the police found in the basement a an axe head just the head no handle. Um, completely clean. No no evidence of trauma on it. No blood. No nothing. Just an axe head. Um, and then they just assumed, they were like, oh, that must be the murder weapon. Yeah. Even it, though there's literally no reason. There was no blood. There was no nothing. It was in the basement. It was broken. No explanation. Yeah. This is example number, like, 394 of how the ball was dropped by, like, everybody in this case. Because, like... Yeah, they just found an axe head and they were like, this must be it. And then they didn't look at anything else in the house. Yeah, they never considered a single other thing. They were just like, yep, this is it. Yep, it was the axe. Um, And to be granted, like, the axe obviously would cause sharp force trauma. And it was about probably the right length. But what I have a feeling for, especially because it was in the basement right next to the furnace, 
is that they were probably down there and had it to chop up wood, broke it when they were chopping a log because things weren't coated back then. They weren't plastic. It had just a simple wooden handle. Who wouldn't throw the broken handle of the axe you cannot fix into the furnace? Yeah. To get rid of it. And then you just toss the axe head to the side, to the corner, and you're like, oh, we'll get a new axe later. Right. Exactly. Um, So, sorry, checking my notes again. Um, (laughs) I think, too, that um, a quick note before I get into what I think the weapon is, like, this seems like a crime of passion. Oh, completely. Generally, crimes that have a very high wound count are crimes of passion. And in most crimes of passion... You grab, you know, you are incensed, you're enraged, you're seeing red, and you grab whatever is next to you, and you just go after them. So why would she go all the way to the basement to find an axe that I guarantee she had never used in her entire life because she was an elite (laughs) woman? Yeah. Like, she wouldn't be ever chopping wood. I doubt she would even know the axe was down there. Yeah, the the axe doesn't fit the narrative at all. Because like you said, like, that many strikes to somebody's head like you're pissed that's not like a premeditated thing like you're hitting somebody 18 times over the head like you're just freaking mad and yeah for her to go from the second floor of the house all the way to the basement and then back up like that doesn't fit a crime of passion that is like it just none of it fits and it just yeah it just doesn't line up the axe doesn't make sense (laughs) however if you look at the board and house There are several of what is super common in 1890s homes, fireplaces. And if you don't know about taking care of a (laughs) fireplace, there's a couple of tools that you use. There are um, bellows to stoke the fire. Those are the things that make the air. Oh, the, the, yeah. Yeah, bellows. (laughs) Um, Then you usually have a little broom Mm -hmm. to like sweep off in front because they can get really messy with the ash. Um, You have a fireplace poker to rearrange the wood. Mm Mm-hmm. And, dun dun dun, you have <laughs> a favorite. fireplace shovel. What? So a fireplace shovel, it looks similar to, like, a regular shovel. However, they're only about, coincidentally, four inches across. Oh, weird. Um, and looking at the board and home in some of the photos, like, you see, you see them. Yeah. They're there. They're present. They're in the photos. Um, they're about four inches across, and the ones they had were made out of just solid iron I'm, assu- I'm assuming iron, but, like, solid metal. That was yeah. really common in those days. Um, and one thing I kind of didn't really note on before is that these obviously, like, it had to be something with a longer handle. Mm-hmm. The kind of wounds they had for how deep they were, like, without a stabbing instrument, like, you can't do sharp force trauma without some kind of velocity. Right. So, like, they had to have some kind of long handle because that would have created the momentum they needed to get the weapon that deep. So... Coincidentally, there is a fireplace poker, I believe, either in the... Or not a fireplace poker, a fireplace shovel. I believe it was either in the room they were in or the room directly next to the room they were in. I think it was in the room. I'm pretty sure it was in the room. Yeah, the the pictures, they have a fireplace in that room. Right, yeah. So I think it was in the room. So right already fits the uh, (laughs) right in hand. And they also have usually a long handle, which I said was all completely metal. The whole thing was cast. So it would also be extremely sturdy. Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't break off like an axe would. Um, and so, like, it's already the right size. They have a sharp edge. It was right on hand. It was made of metal. And the best part is that it's a dark metal. 
first of all, like, blood is not going to show up well on it because it's so dark. And they could have either, well, one, just had time to wash it off, which would have been simple. Like, obviously, back then, they didn't have chemicals to detect right. blood. They didn't have luminol. Well, and like we said, like, this investigation was dropped. Oh, awful. In so all bad. places. Um, also, if they didn't have time to clean it off, it was wet, and there was a fireplace right there. They could have just stuck it in the ashes, got it kind of dirty, hung it back up. Right. And nobody would have thought anything about the fireplace shovel having ash on it. Yeah, nobody. And then they could just go clean it whenever they had time exactly. and people left. Um, and then, so the real kicker here, too, which, I mean, we'll get more into this later. I've said the real kicker, like, five times. I know. I love it. The real, 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 real kicker here <laughs> is that, as we kind of mentioned, like, Lizzie was a wealthy woman. Like, her oh, yeah. family was wealthy. And she was also known as being kind of, all of them were kind of chunky, uh, which was a good thing in those days. Well, I mean, it's still a good thing now. Everybody's beautiful. But it was emphasized in those days because it yeah. showed that you had wealth. Right. And stuff. So they made sure to notice, like, note many times that she was a bigger woman. So she's also obviously never done any chores in her life. Right. Uh, you know, she's not out there like Bridget, you know, cleaning <laughs> the windows and chopping wood. So she probably would have been extremely weak. Oh, for sure. And it takes an incredible amount of force to drive something that deep into someone, even with velocity. Like... Yeah, but I mean, if you're in a rage, then you have the whole adrenaline thing, adrenaline thing going for you, right? I mean, you do have an adrenaline rush, but I think for that many strokes, because not to mention you have to add in the fact that there was a while in between oh. when Andrew was killed. Like, adrenaline ends almost immediately True. when you're done with the stressful situation, which, I mean, I guess she could have gotten another surge of adrenaline, but for someone who had never worked a day in her life, yeah, to- there's no way she could, like... Get another surge of adrenaline and be like, all right, let's go, <laughs> let's go smash this dude <laughs> ten times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so, a fair point. I don't think it's super likely. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. All right, we'll come back to all of this later. This will be touched on again. I know <laughs> this, it's a lot of information at once. This will be touched on. Yeah. So now I get to introduce the new character who I I think did it. And that is John Morse. Uh, so he is Lizzie's uncle via her creepy uncle <laughs> via her mom's side so her or her original mom sarah this is her brother gotcha gotcha so he's the kind of like the uncle-in-law for like her dad yeah i don't i her hate family relations yeah so i don't much, i'm so bad at families for the purpose it, this is uncle john okay uncle john um, uncle john so i already lost my train of thought it's fine. Oh, okay. So most of my research from this, I just want to shout these guys out because they did a ton of research on John Morse and I, they deserve all of the credit for this. Um, so a lot of my research on him comes from the book Cold Case to Case Closed by Rich Little and Beverly Fulstead. Um, and Rich and Beverly are on the same kind of track of, as me is that Lizzie didn't murder her parents. Um, they do however think that john is the more likely suspect and here's kind of why um so like morgan stated the murders were pretty obviously a crime of passion or rage like you don't hit somebody 18 times over the head unless you are just friggin' pissed um and and like morgan said lizzie wasn't really strong enough to do this um but do you want to know who was uncle john because do you want to know what Uncle John did for a living? He oh, was sorry. a butcher. 
Oh, that's an incredible <laughs> amount of force. I don't know if you know anything about butchery. You probably don't because y'all are probably normal people. <laughs> um, but if you look into it, it takes a lot of strength because they cut, lot. they cut right through joints. Oh, um, yeah. They cut right through bones. It's a lot. It's yeah, a lot of force. And do you want to know what other fun fact there is about Uncle John here? Uh, because of his trade, he was known to carry a cleaver on him oh, at all times. Oh, that's horrifying. Why are you just ready to butcher it any moment? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I... I love and I hate this fact because, like, it, it totally gives him, like... A creepy aura? Yeah. Yeah, a creepy terrifying. aura. It gives him, like, a weapon to use and everything, but, like, I get that you're a butcher, but why are you carrying a cleaver on you at all times? Are you just like, oh, man, guys, I saw a <laughs> possum back there. I must have got hit by a carriage. I gotta go butcher it real quick. Oh, I hate it. Not to mention a cleaver would be a big <laughs> weapon, though. I guess if you came from an angle I mean, and got, like, just the point, yeah. like, the end of it, I could see it. I I, I like it. I think it's a I'll let it happen. Option. <laughs> I'll let it happen. Um, so we have the strength to inflict these kind of wounds, and we have a weapon handy to do it. So there's strike one and two against Uncle John. Um, but why why would he kill his... I don't even know what relation Abby would be and his, his brother-in-law. brother-in-law. Yeah. Brother-in-law and sister-in-law? Steps. Twice sister removed? Steps? I don't know. Oh, it's okay. No one likes Abby. Uh, <laughs> so, like Morgan pointed out, this is a crime of passion. And something that was well known was that John and Andrew were business partners. And right before the murders took place, Andrew and John had gotten into an argument that... M- a lot of historians agree was most likely about John losing money in a livestock venture and Andrew being the stingy money loving gross person that he was was infuriated over the failed venture which right it's not something he'd really understand of like why he just lost a bunch of money right exactly um so they they got into a pretty heated heated argument about this i think a day or two before the murders um and the, the other thing that I would like to point out is that Abby was known for being caustic. Like, she was a she drama was, queen. <laughs> she was a drama queen. She was a sassy woman. And she did not keep her opinions to herself, which for 1800s is actually pretty brave. Yeah, like, that's extremely brave. Good. It makes me like her a lot more. Good Maybe that's why you. she wasn't married for so long. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so it's pretty likely that she said something to John the day that she died. So this is where um, the authors that I mentioned go into the the real deep why of this happened right. and how he was in the house to be there for it um so there's a lot of speculation that bridget and john were having an affair and Ooh, spicy <laughs> i mean is it really a murder if there isn't an affair somewhere i mean i don't think there i don't think it is i don't think you can classify it as a murder if there's not an affair in there somewhere right um so when he was in town, he would wait for Abby and Andrew to leave the house, and then he would sneak up to Bridget's room and visit her. And this can be backed up by the fact that up until the year that they died, he stayed in a third floor bedroom that was next to Bridget. Oh, so it was pretty convenient. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I wonder if he requested that room or if they were just like oh, you're going to be up in this room, and then it kind of, like, blossomed from there? Yeah. From my... Or if he was specifically like, oh, I want to be next to that bitch. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> from my understanding of the documentation, he specifically requested to be in that room. Oh, um, so he was really like, I want to be by that bitch. Yeah, he was like, I want to be by her. Hey. <laughs> and, um, like I said, like, the year that they died, they had moved him to a second-floor bedroom where 
Abby so they could have died. already suspected that yeah. something was happening and been like, we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's kind of the, the theory here is that John left the house in the morning, um, which there is documentation of that. He, right. I'll circle back. Um, you know, he came back to the house later to hook up with Bridget when he thought everybody was gone, um, saw that Abby was still home and tried to, you know, act cool about it. Um, Abby was in his room, you know, fixing up the bed and everything. Cause right. that's what you did when you were an 1800s housewife. You were, you, you, took care you of just took guests. care of everything. Um, so he, he was probably in the room with Abby. She made a snarky comment about the failed business venture and he snapped. He took the cleaver out, which he was known to carry, and murdered her in his rage. Um, realizing what he had done, he went to town to make sure that he was seen. And I, I say this because he made it a huge point to be seen in town. Like he was, he was like, hey guys, about it. yeah, you like, see me here? My name is my name is John John Morris. Do you see? I'm sitting in this chair. Do you see it? Yeah, like he was super adamant about being seen in town. Like people, like he made sure that people knew that he was in town when it happened, which he probably wasn't. He probably did it. But right. it's fine. It's, it's all fake, but it's fine. Um, during his little escapade of making sure that he was seen, the light bulb clicked that, you know, Andrew... Andrew exists. <laughs> yeah, the Andrew exists. Uh, went back, murdered Andrew, because um, he knew that Andrew would lose his shit and jeopardize everything. Um, and then I think this is where I think Bridget comes in. Um, I think she probably caught him because she was there. Like, she was... I mean, she, he might yeah. have just confided in her. Like, if yeah. they were really that close, like, he might have just gone to her first and been like, yeah. Hey, Bridget, I really fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Either, I think she either caught him or he either confided in her. Um, and she probably helped him clean up and get him back to town because, again, he was super adamant about being seen multiple times. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's so sketchy. Like, who cares about being seen in town unless you need an alibi? Right. Like, you don't go out of your way to be like... That's even today. People be like, oh, look, I went to the movies. Here's my ticket. I couldn't <laughs> right. do this murder. See, do you see this ticket? Do you see the ticket? Do you see the, do you see do the you time see- stamp? Can you read the... <laughs> do, you, do you see this? I was here And then they t- checked the security camera, and then they left, like, <laughs> 10 minutes into the movie and came back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think in the process of her helping him clean up, she got blood on her dress, which is where a real another really interesting detail comes into play. Um, Lizzie was caught burning a dress that... A blue calico dress. Yes. That's really important. Sorry, that's I will a really important not point. shut up about that later. <laughs> um, she was caught burning a blue calico dress. Um, this dress was, I think, requested by uh, police, and she... She claims that she burned it before the request. Mm-hmm. Um, they claim because that it had she burned it after. It. Yeah. Um, I, we both agree that this dress was probably Bridget's because calico wasn't a it's fabric n- used by rich women. Like it was a coarse fabric. It was heavy. It was dense. Sturdy. It, it yeah, would last it a long time. Like this, this is not rich women fabric. This and, is. And if you don't know what calico <laughs> is, like if you look it up, like you'll know what it yeah. is. Like if you look at the pioneer women when they used to make their like dresses <laughs> out of literal flower sacks, like that's what we're talking about. Like that yeah. little flowers all over okay. it. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to think of like a modern day equivalent and like, mm, like Paisley burlap is kind of. I mean, burlap's a little coarser, but yeah. still it's not a. It's not a bad fabric, but it's not a, a great it's fabric. Not a great and one. it's definitely not something a very wealthy elite family. 
like, there's no way Andrew would have been like, yes, I want to see my very rich old maid daughter out in blue calico. Right. Yeah. So this, this dress definitely wasn't Lizzie's, but she did get caught burning it. Right. Which, why are you burning things when you're in a murder investigation? You have to know that'll be sketch city. At least make sure people aren't going to find you. I mean, Lizzie, Lizzie didn't have a lot of close friends. So I think if Bridget was really like her only yeah Bridget was really like kind of the closest person she had in her life so for both of our narratives Lizzie is burning the dress to protect Bridget and I think it's good to note too that like she went to go burn the dress and I think it was Mrs. Churchill or like another person was like hey Lizzie maybe don't burn that she doing yeah maybe that seems like a bad idea don't burn it yeah and then she did anyways so kind of sum up sum up the rambling nonsense that just happened I think John did it he you know, killed Abby first because she said something stupid about his failed business venture. He took out the cleaver, hit her 18 times, realized that, you know, Andrew was going to rat him out and it was going to jeopardize his entire life. Killed Andrew. Bridget helped him cover it up. She got blood on her dress. Lizzie helped Bridget cover the dress up by burning right. it. I think John did it. I He's super sketch. I hate everything about him. Okay, now it's my turn. Yeah, now it's your turn. <laughs> that was Charles. Can we turn the light on too? Because it's getting real spook in here. Oh, it's like the ambiance. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I would like to point out that it is 8.33 at night and there is one singular light bulb in the and window one singular candle <laughs> and one candle like it's a real spooky in here it's real spooky hours but Bef- okay before you go into your thing i just want to point out I, I posted the pictures on our twitter and instagram of this conversation that morgan sent me where like directly after we had talked about her theory she got like an a call from an unknown number at like nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Okay. So what happened <laughs> is it was like six p.m., like six thirty-six, actually, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I'm weird with numbers. Don't judge me. Um. So six thirty-six, and I got a call from an unknown number, and I was like, "Well, that's Sketchball City. I'm not going to fucking answer that." <laughs> uh, so I just muted it. I was playing League of Legends. Don't judge me. Uh, so <laughs> three hours later, still playing League of Legends. Nine oh nine rolls around and my phone goes off and it was like the specific like iphone reminder ding yeah and like i don't set reminders on my phone ever like i, no, think, they're I think the pointless. last reminder on your phone was from like 2018 to get like cloves for that weird tooth but, infection you had yeah so uh, i don't <laughs> ever ever use them so i was like uh what and so i pick up my phone and i have a reminder for a call with unknown that I clearly didn't set. Um, it clearly wasn't like an accidental, like, I bumped Siri and then it somehow thought that I needed a reminder. Because, first of all, 909? Right. This is like, a random time. <laughs> I've never said the time 909 out loud. I don't think ever in my life until this happened. I also, it, like, it wasn't like two hours later, three hours later. Like, because then it would have been 936. Right. So... Who knows? Yeah. I'm probably haunted, <laughs> and it's terrifying. But it, it was just so funny that this happened, like, right after our conversation about your theory. Oh, yeah. So, you know. So, yeah. If the I think Lizzie the... agrees. She knows I'm getting too close to the truth. That's <laughs> who the call was with. If the flames on the candle start dancing, I'm just going to run. Like, I'm just, you're done for. <laughs> 
That's fine. You can bail out. You I'll can leave me out. here. I accept it. It'll be our first and last episode. <laughs> All right, get into your nonsense. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, saddle up, kiddos, because this is long and a little complicated, but I swear I will will keep going over things and tying it back in because I get it, guys. It's complex. (laughs) Okay, so as we've discussed, Lizzie was 32 at the time of the crimes, and she wasn't married yet. So some people theorize it was because she wasn't attractive enough to marry someone of her station, Some believe that she was attractive, but, like, her abusive parents kept her from marrying. However, primarily after the murders and her acquittal, she was plagued by rumors of her sexuality until her death. So most people at that point believed that she'd either been part of several lesbian relationships or at least was in one. She was really well known to have gotten very close to an actress. And there was, like, a lot of, a lot of theories (laughs) about... The two of them being involved romantically. Get it, girl? I know. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you know anything about the uh, 1890s, but it was not okay to be gay. What? That was, uh, weirdly <laughs> enough, not their motto. Who would have guessed? didn't have the LGBTQ community in the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, who, who knew, man? There was no, uh, no rainbow flags? Who would have guessed? I am shooketh. Uh, so yeah, so finding out that Lizzie was a lesbian uh, would have ruined hers and her family's reputations, likely, permanently. Fair enough. Um, and well, this is something that they could have gotten away with if they were, say, like, in the royal court in England <laughs> or France or something, maybe. I feel like you're throwing really specific shade. Um, <laughs> just saying. But uh, the Bordens were definitely not rich enough to get away with it. So uh, they were not rich enough to get away with it, but rich enough that people cared. That's, I hate it. So they were, like, in society and people would care if they were gay, um, but uh, not enough to, like, get away with it. Um, so obviously, as we all know, Bridget is their maid, um, and we've already kind of speculated on how she could have played a role. I don't think anyone has a theory that doesn't involve Bridget. No, Bridget I think was involved somehow. That Bridget is sketch. Um, so Lizzie and Bridget were particularly close. Like it's been noted by many people that Lizzie and her sister, but primarily Lizzie, were the only people in the whole world to call Bridget by her nickname Maggie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like 99% Lizzie and like a little bit of Emma. Yeah. Um, and no one really knows how the nickname started. Uh, they know that Lizzie started it, but they don't know okay. why she started it, like where it came from. So it's probably kind of like an inside joke or probably. something between the two of them. I mean, like you said, Bridget was kind of just a generic name given to Irish maids. So like maybe it her real her, name like, was Margaret name. and like she just called her Maggie. Yeah, that's very possible. That's hella speculation, by the way. Yeah, we're just... <laughs> I have no idea if that's true. Yeah. But it sounds right. Um, I'll go and with it. So many had heard stories or rumors of um, Lizzie's closeness with the maid. Um, but as someone raised in, like, a thought-to-be-abusive household her whole life, like, no one really seemed to judge her, like, finding friends with the staff. Yeah. Like, everyone kind of knew that her family was shitty and that she was old and she didn't have a lot of friends. So, like, no one really was, like... It's really weird that she's, like, really good friends with the maid. Like, no right. one really thought anything of it. Um, she wasn't really close to, you know, as we said, like, her sister, the rest of her family. Bridget was really, like, her only friend and ally. Yeah. Um, so at the time of the murders, uh, Bridget, Lizzie, Abby, and Andrew were the only ones in the house. Well, Andrew came in later, but, you know, <laughs> he, he's involved. Um, <laughs> so Bridget had claimed to be outside cleaning the windows, uh, but she had no alibi. Like, there was no one to say... Yes, for sure. She was outside cleaning the windows. Same with Lizzie in the barn. Yeah. There was no one to say, yes, Lizzie was in the barn. So both of them had no alibis. 
And if you think back to the autopsies, like I mentioned, the likelihood that Lizzie would have had, like, the strength to do these murders is, like, slim. However, a slim little woman in her 20s in the prime of her life, a much more able suspect. Not to mention she's used to doing hard labor. Like, they even mention, I think, in her testimony, she was used to carrying, like, heavy heavy buckets of water from like the well to the house consistently yeah. like so she was strong and she was like in her early 20s if i believe right yeah, i think she was like 22 or 23 exactly well and and like i mentioned earlier and and the consistent detail in her testimonies is that at one point on that day she went outside threw up for 15 minutes and then just went back to her chores so like girl was a badass oh yeah she was a total badass i mean just because she's sketch balls doesn't mean that i don't love her with my whole heart i'm a bridget stan for life okay so this overall theory is like a little complicated um but i think it's the most likely based on like the limited evidence um the completely botched out by police and examiners and like just the age of the case um so setting the scene okay so (laughs) the house is empty except for abby lizzie and bridget like we know Mm -hmm. so abby who either i'm kind of like torn on this so i'm i feel like she was either confronting her about the poisoning but that wouldn't really involve bridget so i think she was confronting her about their possible lesbian relationship maybe that they had like gotten caught yeah or they were kind of becoming more like open about it because what if you are like concerned especially in those days that like you're stepchild is going to do something to disgrace the family Mm -hmm. and you know that their dad has an explosive temper like you're gonna wait till he's out of the house you're gonna wait till the sister's out of the house and we already said bridget was outside so like dishonor dishonor on you (laughs) exactly (laughs) um so you know she calls lizzie upstairs and who she actually had just gotten like a little bit closer with Mm -hmm. so like she that would be another reason that she would definitely want to be like make sure he was gone because like he may yeah. have defended Lizzie or he may have just like flipped his lid and she just didn't want him to be involved right which would all make sense so my theory is that you know she called Lizzie up she's lecturing Lizzie on like whatever she's upset about probably calls up Bridget and read them both the riot act like really goes in yeah um and then so Abby turns her back say to maybe you know shut the drawer fiddle with whatever she was fiddling with and bridget scoops up the shovel and hits her in the back knocking her down as we've talked about you know she hits the dresser goes down they step forward and end the deed realizing what's just happened they decide that andrew has to go because like i said i shouldn't live with it (laughs) when andrew gets home who is the first person he's going to suspect oh he's going to look at bridget well bridget and lizzie yeah because lizzie like abby had gone on and on about how she thought lizzie had poisoned them the week ahead of time and they were the only two people in the house and and they were known to like not have a great relationship so yeah like you come home and your wife said you're immediately looking at your daughter and the maid right so instantly they're like well shit like he's gotta go (laughs) well shit he can't stay around anymore (laughs) um so you know i think that they kind of maybe clean up a little bit or they're kind of just up there kind of like oh shit what do we do next oh god oh god oh god and then you know they hear him come in he goes in takes a nap they're probably just kind of like still trying to like freak it out kind of trying to figure out what to do and they're like okay we gotta do it yeah so they probably wait a little bit wait till he falls asleep because it'd be obviously way easier to take down someone who's sleeping right and then i think probably bridget goes down and kills him 
I think um, so. For a couple of reasons. One, like we said, she's just stronger. Yeah. And I think she'd just be more able to do it, though. Andrew was sleeping, and it was, like, to his head. Mm-hmm. So, Lizzie possibly could have done it, but I'm still feeling Bridget. But I think, honestly, yeah. overall, it doesn't really matter because I think they were both involved. Yeah. I mean, they're for your narrative, they're both involved. So I don't think it really matters who killed Andrew at this point. Exactly. So then at that point, they could either clean the shovel or, like I said, just kind of stick it in the ashes so, like, people wouldn't notice. Yeah. And then Bridget goes and changes her clothes, obviously, because they're probably covered in blood, her blue calico dress. Oh, you forgot to introduce the sketchiest of sketchy characters. Oh, oh my yes. God. You guys this are... guy's the worst. Yeah, you are not ready for uh... <laughs> I hate him so much. Dr. Seabury Bowen. Already yeah. a good name. Hate it. Okay, <laughs> so this is... Where it gets even more complicated because now we have another player. So Dr. Seabury Bowen lived in the house literally directly across the street from them. Yeah. So back in those times, like most cities only had one or two doctors um, that were like readily available that like could do house calls. Right. Um, So that in case, like you're probably going to pick the doctor who's literally 10 steps away from your house. Yeah. And like, why would you pick anyone else? And it's important to note he was the only doctor in town. Oh, yeah. And like, there's Falls well, River wasn't that big. Yeah. And there's like, it's well documented that he was like Lizzie's doctor pretty much her whole life and that like a doctor to the family. Because yeah. he, he was the doctor that Abby had gone to earlier in the week when she was about complaining being poisoned, about being yeah. poisoned. Yeah. Um, so if the abuse allegations are true, because they've kind of been speculated that she was like physically abused, emotionally abused, like possibly sexually abused, though none of it's really been like corroborated. Like, we don't really know the validity of any of it which is why we haven't really touched on it too much yeah um he would have seen this i mean he'd been as her doctor like her whole life like he right. would have he he known. would have known but like he okay first of all don't come don't come from a man dr seabury bowen there was <laughs> nothing he could do there was no cps in those times true really like especially with it being a wealthy family like there was literally nothing he could do well and uh, abuse in wealthy families was pretty common back then basically like, every family it, it was probably like if, he, if he's gonna do anything it's gonna be like okay are you still alive are you still functional cool i'm sorry this is happening to you right like and especially because she was a woman like there's nothing right. he was gonna there be was, able to do yeah. she was on her own okay so the day of the murders when bridget was told about andrew's death because supposedly lizzie found the body screamed out to bridget who was supposedly outside all of their questions um, and then <laughs> Bridget went and got Dr. Bowen. Mm -hmm. So he was the first one over, and he was actually the first one to examine both bodies, but, like, originally just Andrew. Mm -hmm. Um, So while he was there, he said that he had sent Lizzie up to her room. And while she was there, she changed into a wraparound dress. And then I'll go more into why this is important, but remember this. We'll circle back to that. Wraparound dress. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before coming back down. So despite all accounts saying that Lizzie was calm, collected, showing no emotion at all, which is one of the reasons they thought she was guilty. I I hate that people thought that she was guilty for that too, because like people seem to forget that women in that time period had this very small area of operation when it came to their emotions right like you could show a little bit of emotion because like you were expected to because you were a woman and you're supposed to be more emotional right but too much emotion got you institutionalized for female hysteria right and like it was well known that like (laughs) elite women were like supposed to be calm yeah they were all the time yeah like, even when shit is hitting the fan, like, you need to be, 
like a picture of stoic grace yeah so the fact yeah, that she yeah stoic she, grace yeah the, fact the that perfect she, way to describe that yeah so it's like completely normal that she would not have shown her emotions completely but despite the fact that everyone thought she was guilty because she was so calm and collected he gave lizzie a heavy dose of morphine which she Hate continued it. for like up until the trial happened which was like at least yeah. a week i think a little bit longer and so he had her on morphine for the better better part of a week like and it was a hefty dose like and yeah. he even actually like later on in his testimony said that morphine in that high of doses could very well lead to memory loss confusion hallucinations so he pretty much gave her a scapegoat where oh, you yeah. could be like oh none of her testimony is true like if she goes yeah. back and doubles up on herself or like gets confused or like says multiple different stories like oh she had a drug that caused yeah. memory loss I just, like know, how her on coincidental morphine. um he also in detail describes telling her to change mm-hmm. describes the pink dress she was wearing in detail when she comes back down but suspiciously he could not say a single detail even down to the color of the dress she was wearing previous to changing mm. which is real suspicious that you would take so much notice of the second dress yeah but not the first he's such a sketchy like player. he didn't even know the color and he specifically was like well i don't get involved in a women's fashion well excuse me you knew every detail of the second dress right like doesn't get involved in women's fashion but in the same breath is like oh yeah the second dress was a pink wraparound dress and blah blah, blah. like you described yeah, it to little a notes tea, of lace on but, it and- like, you can't tell us the first thing she was wearing when you got there come on Right, so it's important to note as well that despite being the only people in the home, Bridget and Lizzie never turned on each other. They never testified at even anything remotely close to putting the blame on each other. Mm-hmm. Though I'm sure the police put both of them under significant pressure to say that the other one did it. Oh, I'm sure. Since they were the only two in the home, like, you know the police are going to pit them against each other. Yeah. But they never, never said anything about each other. And also Dr. Bowen never said anything about either of them yeah having anything to do with it at all okay so now we're going to talk about the dress because the dress <laughs> doesn't sound important but i promise that it is yeah it it plays a huge part okay so mentioned previously lizzie was caught burning a dress a blue calico dress a little while after the murders which was supposedly like used as evidence that she had done it so um Bridget and Dr. Bowen both testified that Lizzie was definitely not wearing a blue calico dress in the morning. Even though they couldn't specify what dress she was wearing, they both were like, I don't know what the dress was. Definitely not blue calico, though. Yeah. 100% not blue calico. So, like we have said, like, Dr. Bowen could remember the second dress that she changed into in detail, but not the first. And as both of them cover, like, the dress she was wearing previously was one that she'd have to be laced into. Mm-hmm. So, like, dresses in this time period were, like, impossible to put on yourself. They're the... W- okay, I... Especially for elite women. <laughs> both of us do historical reenactments. They're the worst. It's the worst. Like, you literally cannot put this shit on by yourself. Like, you really cannot. Like, you have to have help. It's, like, not an option. So, they, um... Like, there's, like, the biggest chance that Bridget was the one who dressed her. Like, well, obviously, yeah. the only maid in the home was probably That's, the one that helped them get dressed That in the was morning. a huge part of a maid's job, was to get you dressed in the morning, because you're not doing that by yourself. Exactly. So you're telling me Bridget dressed her literally, like, 
two to three hours before this, but has no recollection of what dress. Like, I guarantee you, that woman had Lizzie's entire wardrobe memorized. Oh, Probably sure. Emma's and Abby's as well. And you're telling me she couldn't remember from two hours previously what dress she was wearing? Weird. Wow, how crazy. And the fact that they both emphasized that when she changed, she put on a dress she could have put on herself. Yeah. Because, like, a wraparound, like, think like a robe. Like, you can tie yourself in the front. Yeah, it's basically, like, a super fancy robe. Like, that. so, robes, like, you know, they tie in the front. You kind of have, like, some stuff showing. Cleavage. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a graceful way to phrase this. But wraparound dresses, like, there was a point kind of, I would say, like, maybe hip to back area right where you tie where it had a tie and then it came back around and then tied again on the other side so it was completely crossed over so that you weren't showing anything exactly so like the fact that they also put such heavy evidence like emphasis words are hard guys (laughs) english is hard um kind of implies that like the dress she was wearing before was not one she could have put on herself because they both like heavily emphasize that the second dress she could put on. Yeah. The second dress is something you can do yourself. So, yeah. That heavily implies that the first dress was not one she could have put on herself. So, mm-hmm. definitely Bridget helped her. Also, funny enough, no one ever mentions what Bridget was wearing. Ever. No one asked. No, the police never asked her. Lizzie never mentions it. Dr. Bowen never mentions it. Bridget yeah. never mentioned it. No one ever cared what Bridget was wearing. Um. So, there also was no one left alive besides Lizzie that could have testified to what Bridget was wearing as well. Uh, I like the way you phrased that. There was no one left alive. I mean, is it wrong? It's not wrong. Um, So, uh, as we kind of talked about, like, even if you don't know much about period fashion, uh, Calico was not really a wealthy woman's dress. No, it was not. Um, So, that kind of also uh, throws it into the, it was probably Bridget's dress category. Um, so as it stands, both the doctor and the maid attest to Lizzie's innocence. They both deny she wore the suspicious dress, and they both were the only other ones present around the time of the crime. And mm-hmm. then conveniently, the doctor gave her a medicine that she could use later as an excuse for discrepancies in her story. And he also admits that he only physically saw her take it one time. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like, there's nothing saying she actually took this medicine. Like, she yeah. might have taken it the first time to cover her story, but, like, it was most likely just a fake prescription. Like, there was no evidence she actually took it past that first day. Yeah. Okay, so let's kind of put the theory in motion here, <laughs> and I'll kind of explain why I've told you all of these details. Yeah. It all makes sense in a second. Okay, so as detailed before, Bridget and Lizzie get chewed out, Bridget kills Abby, and then likely Andrew, getting her dress covered in blood. So Lizzie cleans the murder weapon as Bridget goes and changed, taking off her blue calico dress that Lizzie would later burn, claiming it had been paint stained. Funny enough, this was actually another sign that it was not her dress because, yeah. <laughs> coincidentally, wealthy women didn't go around just, you know, painting the trim or painting the outside of the house. Yeah. So, like, definitely not something that would have happened in, like, a home improvement sense. And also, there's no mention ever of her being an artist yeah, or having she, like, any interest. Yeah, like, wasn't a hobby for her. Yeah, I mean, she was not a painter. She no. was not an artist. <laughs> she didn't do anything like that. So how would she have got paint on a dress? Yeah, it, it just, it wasn't hers. Yeah, and even if it was, did did actually have paint on it, it would still be more likely to be Bridget's because if yeah. anyone's like, oh, hey, go, like, you know, paint the trim on that window, like, they're going to tell Bridget to go paint it. Um, so then Bridget goes outside, 
where she's called to by Lizzie discovering the body of Andrew. She calls over Dr. Bowen, giving him a brief explanation of what happened, or perhaps he just simply guesses. He walks in the door and he's like, hmm, okay, y'all bitches did this. Yeah. Uh, all yeah. right, what are we going to do? I feel like it might have been a little bit more eloquent than that, but it's fine. Yeah, I was going to try and say that in like an old English accent, and then I remember that they were in America, and I don't know how to speak like that. Um, so, never mind. I don't know how to speak 1800s American. Yeah, I don't. I do not. Um, so my guess is that he found maybe like a spot of blood or like mm -hmm. ash on Lizzie that like she had missed. Yeah, just something. And he was like, okay, first of all, you... Go change. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. um, and then he gives her the prescription for her nerves, um, as we've talked about. So, but it gives her a, a great scapegoat as why your story might have holes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's it. Yeah. They all did it together. They, well, they didn't all do it together, but they all covered it up together. Yeah. The, the doctor was, like, the sketchiest player in this whole thing. Yeah, he was a weird dude. Right after this, too, <laughs> they were like... Okay, the doctor came over and he kind of did like the first like preliminary like examinations mm -hmm. of them, and then they're like, okay, um, I know you just got here and you're like the most important person that's here right now as a professional. Um, can you leave and go send a telegraph <laughs> to Emma? Oh, because yeah, he just like got that. up and they sent him out to like leave and go send a telegraph to Emma because yeah. she was like 15 miles away, as I said, in another town, which seems it really also sketchy that they were like. Hey, we don't want you to get suspected of these murders. Can you just go down the Could street? Just, like so right. people see you down the street doing this thing and not not here? Yeah. Un unfortunately I feel like both of our theories hold weight and unfortunately we're never gonna know which one of us is right, which is gonna drive us insane. Because... Unless, that, uh... <laughs> Unless that person releases it, which they're not. Hold going on, to. I have his name because y'all can you? write him a letter. It's <laughs> George Dexter Robinson's file. That's a name. On the case. So uh George Dexter Robinson, guys. Yeah. But so, letter. That's the uh, the Borden murders. Let us know what you think. If if you think, you know, Morgan's right, or if you think I'm right. Or, or you if, think we're both full of bullshit. And yeah. you want to tell us another theory, I'm yes, we so on board. would love to hear from you guys. Um, so we have our email, um, podcast at gmail.com. Right. You can email us uh, possible cases you want us yes. to touch on, theories that you have, further evidence. Please feel free to reach out to us. You can tweet at us. Is it is it bees and uh, murders or it bitches? So Twitter is at and murders because um, uh, Twitter doesn't like swear words. Yeah, it was not okay with it. Um, our Facebook page, which is bitches and murders, and then our Instagram, which is bitches and murders podcast. Right. So you can find us on all those things, I and like guess. I said, throw us a like because you yeah. know you want to, <laughs> and you know you want to hear more of these beautiful dulcet tones. Yeah, uh, um, telling you about people's gory bodies. Yeah, fine. So we can also be found on Patreon, um, bitches and murders. We have a couple of tiers set up if you're feeling ever so generous and want to throw money at us because I don't know why. But oh it, yeah, please. you know you want to uh, <laughs> um, help us buy a microphone. Thanks. Yeah, please. and then one more important thing I would love to shout out: um, Charles from Charles R Horror Show. Um, he is letting us use his equipment, so go over to his podcast and listen to his nonsense. I think it starts off horror, murdery, and then, and then it just turns into nonsense. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. I promise. If you have a sense of humor, which yeah, you I better you do. Here. Come on, guys. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And also, like we said, just going back to the Patreon thing as well, each of our tiers uh, will, like, unlock further information as well. So, like, yeah. you're not just getting nothing for your money. There'll be 
our personal handwritten notes, um, mm-hmm. further pictures that we kind of like really had to search to find that aren't readily accessible. Yeah. Um, I also did quite a bit of research into more of the psychological side of this um, that's kind of fueled some of my theories as well. Kind of theories mm-hmm. about like body dysmorphia, theories about being LGBT in that time period, and a little bit about like parasite killing your parents. Um, and all of that, I'll link mm-hmm. all the uh, scientific articles as well on where I got all this information. I promise I'm not full of bullshit. Yeah, basically. I just didn't want to quote all that to you guys. This is an APA paper. I don't have to cite my sources. <laughs> basically, give us money and we'll give you all of the information. Yeah, and you love us we, and we're cute. So I think we might do a live Q&A for our Patreons eventually, too. So yes, that that's something I definitely want to do. Once we get enough interest and you guys send us lots of lovely questions, like, about anything. Like, you can ask us about us. Yeah. We both have really cute dogs, I promise. The best. The best dogs. Um, and then, you know, possible cases. We actually have quite a few cases lined up. Yeah, I think we have, like, five. Well, and not. Well, excluding this one, we think we have, like, four other episodes lined up. Yeah, so I'll give you a little uh, little brief thing little. of knowing what you, uh, what you got coming. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about next in episode two is the Forgotten Witch Trials, mm-hmm. not... The Salem of your memory. We're not going there. We don't. We don't care. We don't we're care actually, about that. I'm actually not going to tell you where we're going. You're just going to have to listen to that episode and figure out where we're going for those forgotten witch trials. Yeah, they're forgotten. You don't know about them. <laughs> you want to know about them, though. I promise. And then I think after that is the Topeka murders, which Topeka, are Topeka. Okay, <laughs> I'm not from Kansas. I don't know how to do the things. Topeka uh, is that how that's pronounced? Is that? Yeah. I hate it. It's Topeka, yeah. Hate but it. is that- anyway, Kansas. There were some murders in Kansas that were brought to our attention by yeah. family members. Um, so we're going to cover those. These are actually um, a little bit on those. These are recent. Um, they're Actually, the trials are ongoing yeah, literally they're still as happening. we speak. Um, and we were contacted by a cousin of someone who is involved. Um, yeah. And we have lots of personal information from her, their Facebook page, the victim's mom. And then we also have information from the mother of one of the other victims who really wants to say her side. We have a phone call with her tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're taking our time to really get the best information we can on that because it is so recent. Yeah. um, And it's still a little up in the air of exactly what happened. Um, And then after that, we have... Uh, The Hello Kitty murder, which is horrifying. Oh, you guys are not... Not prepared. Not ready for all of that. (laughs) I don't know if I'm ready for all of that. So uh, then I think it's... I hate Shannon and Chris. Is it Shannon or is it Shannon? Okay, this name is spelled C H A N N O N, and I yeah. Hate, someone I tell us: know. is it Shannon or is it Shannon? Sh- Shannon? Shannon? I think, Shannon? It, I don't I think know. it's Shannon. I hate it. We don't want to get it wrong the whole episode, though. So I'm gonna please, get it wrong the whole episode. It's please fine. let us know if you do know for some reason. Uh, I think that's pretty much all we got lined up. But like, right. come on, guys, it's five episodes ahead of time. Don't judge us. We have plenty lined up. But that's it for the Burden Murders, so uh, keep it spooky. Keep Keep it spooky, spooky. bitches, and we'll see you next week.